Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. And the last retreat, um, one of the teachers in the retreat told me a story about one of the uh, meditators who was uh, walking in the woods, doing walking meditation, and suddenly had an intuition to look up, and looked up to see that a large branch was falling and stepped out of the way. Uh, and this is a further uh, motivation to practice. <laughs> because actually what we develop in practice is like a different way of knowing, you know, like a different way of knowing, uh, of awareness, uh, that is beyond what we usually think of as possible. And in some ways it's not mysterious because really when we are able to let go of being so focused on our own self-absorbed uh, thought patterns and living in our world of delusion, it gives us a lot more space to notice what's actually going on around in different ways. So a metaphor I like to give for people is like, you know, it says if this glass was on, say, it's on my lap like this, and then you get one picture of it like this, and then say you get one picture of it in midair, and then you get one picture of it on the ground, broken glass, water, everything. So from that standpoint, it looks like, well, what could I do? You know, there was only one moment I could have saved the thing. It just happened. Right? But what if you got like, 100 pictures of it? Like here. Right? So then you have actually like 98 more chances in between to do something about it. So how do you get those 98 pictures back? So what usually happens is that we see the glass there, and then we're like, oh, a glass of water, that's good. I'm thirsty. I wonder where it came from. I wonder what temperature it is. Then suddenly we notice it's falling. Oh, no, what should I do? I don't know what to do. You know, boom. So in the meantime, we're kind of lost in our own world, and we miss all those in-between pictures. You know? And this is true about so many things. If we're able to develop some continuity of attention, a sense of collectedness, awareness about, say, even the body itself, uh, we get to notice when there's a movement of some kind of pain or towards injury. You know, for example, repetitive strain injuries. It comes from doing something over and over again that has like incrementally uh, painful impact in the body. So for those who work with uh, computers, you know, it's like you're here and your shoulders start to move up and up and up and up, and then suddenly you notice only when it's like that, right? <laughs> so it's like, oh, what if we, we could notice like each of these little incremental clicks and be like, okay, Relax, right? So developing body awareness like that, right? And then also developing awareness uh, relationally too. So we don't have a sudden thing like, oh, like what happened to that relationship? Or what happened to that uh, situation? How did that end? And perplexed by it because we missed the 98 pictures in between that were actually giving us information about what was going on. So it could seem like it's psychic or something, but actually, you know, it makes sense when we uh, tune in more, when we have a collectedness and a presence of mind and heart, we're able to take in more information and then actually respond more uh, appropriately and helpfully to the world and to ourselves. So we'll practice together, and uh, today we'll we'll focus a little bit on practicing with the thoughts and emotions that I had um, referred to yesterday also. So some are more subtle and slippery areas of the uh, human realm to attend to than the clunky old body, uh, but very helpful. So we'll do a couple of little exercises with it, and the general thing is to try to bring awareness to the experience of emotion as it's manifesting in this moment uh, in the heart, mind, and body. And oftentimes with emotion, you can feel it uh, as an energetic movement, an energetic sort of storm, you could say, moving through. So we start to detect, like, okay, sadness feels like this. Anger feels like this. Right? Uh, excitement feels like this. And much the same way I was describing with that glass of water, then we can start to notice when the beginnings of fear come, you know, when the beginnings of anger come. So not when we're just in the middle of a tantrum, saying things that we later regret, you know, but we can start to notice in the beginning Oh, this is coming. The storm is coming, right? <laughs> Before we're drenched. Yeah. 
Now, many times there's a, a connection between repetitive thoughts that come through and some strong emotion. And uh, the way that's helpful to uh, practice with this is to notice that the thoughts are there, but actually drop out of our engagement with the content of the story. So usually we're engaged completely with the story. Like, they did this, and then I did this, and next time I'll say this, and they should have done this. And So meantime, there's a whole explosion of different energy, emotions going on uh, that we're not attending to because we're att- involved with the content of the story. Right? So you can let that go on like it's in the background. You don't need to kill it. But shift the attention, focus more on what is the energy that's actually fueling that. And pretty much any repetitive thought that comes through over and over again, whatever it is, thought about the past, worry about the future, uh, imagined something or other, it's got some energetic juice that's like fueling that to come back. So allowing that, noticing the impermanence of it, being with that uh, is a helpful way to work with it. The trick with that, too, is that you can't be noticing it in order to make it leave, all right? Uh, or you can be, but then you're just uh, conditioning aversion. So then if that's the next layer, then be with aversion, right? And with some things that are more complicated, uh, emotional states coming through, there also can be layers. Like the first layer, maybe anger, comes through a couple of times. And then underneath of that is actually a sense of uh, vulnerability, maybe, or... Uh, fear or self-righteousness or something. So you only need to attend to the layer that is uh, most easily accessible, you could say. Uh, but you could kind of inquire a little bit if there's something that's come over and over again, like, okay, what's, is there anything, any sort of sub-fuel to the fuel under, underneath of that? And just check it out. So. so we're doing this investigation with our awareness, right? So not by thinking about it in a kind of like, oh, this happened because of this, and so on. But really, in an awareness kind of way, kind of like if I stick my hand into this glass of water to see what the temperature is, I know that not by thinking it was poured 20 minutes ago, and at that time it was this temperature, right? So not from the intellectual part, but from direct knowing, yeah? So that's what we're doing, direct knowing uh, of this experience. So we can begin just settling into your posture and just... Connecting to the body as it's sitting here. You can just try to relax into being present. So as you take a breath in and as you breathe out, you can try to relax the face muscles, the jaw, the eyes. can know the body is breathing. Just as it naturally does on its own.
So we're going to play a little bit in the realm of recognizing thought and motion. So notice that uh, thought itself is uh, arising that comes and goes on its own, conditionally. So first I'd like to uh, invite you to remember uh, what your shoes look like that you wore here. You just see the image of your shoes. You can notice how that picture might have flashed on and then maybe it's gone already. So it rose and passed away. You could check in and see if there's any kind of emotional residue from that. If you had any particular positive or negative feelings about your shoes. you could think about, bring to mind the thought of your address. Now it might have come in words, uh, as an image or as a sound of saying the words. Could be also there was even a picture of the home, apartment. So notice too how that arose and then passed away. And I'd like you to bring up a thought of something that is slightly irritating to you. It could be a particular thing, or it could be some habitual thing that people do, or that happens in the world. And notice as that thought arises also what the concurrent changes are that might happen in the body. So what's the emotion or mood or mind state that arises with that. And after seeding that with that initial thought, try to track that energetically. So be with that irritation or anger or sadness, aversion. So drop the attention into where you notice that most. You can even describe it in more detail pulsing, vibration, contraction. And notice how it changes and moves and shifts. And you can always rest back with the breath. If the emotion or mood that comes up is too intense, you can use the breath as a place to stabilize your attention. And then kind of go between, gently feeling into 
the outskirts or a little bit of what that intense emotion, mood is. Then come back to the breath. Or even feeling them at the same time. So breathing into that state that's difficult to be with. And finally, I'd like to invite you to bring up the image of some place that you really like to be. So it could be some place in nature that makes you very happy, or a particular location, whether it's some place that you currently go to or from your childhood. So you can allow yourself to imagine that place. And as you do, similarly to the last time, notice what the emotion is or mood that's evoked from that. Or feel what that feels like in your heart, in your body, in the mind. So drop the attention and be with the movement of that energy. Could be contentment or peace or joy, excitement, happiness. Just notice how this is different and what that energy feels like. You can also label this with whatever the word is that describes it as a mood or emotion, or even in more detail, as the movement of energy, vibration, pulsing spaciousness. And as it seems to dissolve, you can shift the attention back to be with the breath. So now for the rest of the period, we can just practice free form, just noticing whatever thoughts happen to come through, if there are any emotions or moods that come through. Sometimes it helps to see the thoughts as if they are being projected onto a screen. Just notice how they arise and pass away. The labeling can be helpful. You could say planning or remembering, thinking, fantasizing. Just as a way to help you disengage from the content. Become interested in the process of the arising of thought and mood and emotion.
So noticing if there's any kind of mood or emotion present. And if so, what is that? How do you know? Where do you feel that? What's the energy of that now?
So we'll have a little time if people have questions about their uh, practice or instructions. And since uh, half the people will have some meetings with teachers um, today, I'd like to ask for the beginning at least that we'll open it up to the people who don't have meetings uh, with teachers today in case you have questions or... Uh, so, yeah. My, my experience just now was that if I could let go of the thought, sooner or, way, sooner or later the emotion would fall away. But then I was thinking, I was trying to put it in a real-life scenario, what if the stimulus is So she's saying she noticed that um, when she was able to let go of the thought, then the emotion would pass. Is that correct? Um, but then she was wondering in a scenario in which, uh, like, someone's actually saying something to you or something's happening in the moment, uh, how to change the relationship to the stimulus. Yeah. Yeah, some continual thing. So, like, with the annoying thing, for example, that someone is continually doing something that is... Uh-huh, right, right. Yeah, so uh, it's good that you notice the first part, right? That when the thought goes, like the thought catalyzed that emotional storm, and both of them are impermanent, right? So that can move through. Right? And, I mean, really, here it was a very artificial exercise in which I'm asking you to think about your shoes and this and that, right? To just get the hang of identifying thought as thought and emotion as emotion, right? Um, two things. One, you know, it's, it's funny when on retreat people say things like, you know, in the real world, right? Because, uh, like, uh, I just think, like, in the, you know, I, I know what you mean, because people think, like, the world outside of retreat when I'm not following a weird schedule and stuff like that. But um, in actuality, we're probably much more present here. So in some ways, the world is much more real, <laughs> you know, much more tuned in than in the distractedness, busyness, you know, and so on, right? As a little footnote, just uh, start on that. Um, so then the question is like how to shift the uh, how to shift your relationship to something that's happening you know in the moment and uh, that itself is a really interesting and helpful practice and exercise and it kind of depends on what's happening and then what the response is you know what the appropriate thing to do is in that moment so this the the purpose of this exercise is not saying like all emotion is bad or you should not feel emotions Uh, however it does it is helpful to start to notice uh, which one of them seem to be sort of afflictive, you could say, right? Like fear or revenge or jealousy and things like that, right? And which are uh, more wholesome ones, right? Uh, so starting to track that one, right? And then actually sometimes looking at, well, th- there's sometimes a view underneath of that that is fueling that particular thing. So for example, here in the hall, like uh, sometimes people do things that you don't want them to do, like um, breathing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What seems like loudly, right? Or like opening a cough drop or something, right? And in ordinary life, that would seem like not a giant crime, but here, uh, they're bugging you for some reason, right? Uh, and you can't stop that, that there seems to be some huge thing going on, right? So then there's different, there's a view, like here's me and here's them, and they're doing something that uh, they shouldn't do or that's disturbing to me, and then I'm reacting in this way, right? And in some way, you can replace the opening the cough drop or breathing with whatever larger thing. Right? Uh, so sometimes, like, okay, can I understand the lar- hold, open to the larger context sometimes helps? You know? um, can I hold with compassion both of us? Right? And just noticing also that this, this recipe for suffering or not suffering, you know, uh, we're pointing to, like, they shouldn't be doing this thing, whereas actually where the arising is of the suffering is here. You know? Like we're positing the problem out there all the time. Uh, whereas actually the response, the reaction is here. Uh, so that's just a few things about that, but I don't know if my colleagues would like to respond also. I'd just like to offer that uh, you might bring the attention into your reaction, you know, the difficult emotion, and really, uh, really invite it uh, to be as strong and as big as it wants to be by describing it to yourself and really feeling it, 
if does, does it have a color? Does it have a texture? Does it uh, is it tight? Is it rope like? Um, so that you're you're really inviting it in. You're saying, okay, you know, be here. It's almost like bowing and accepting that this too is part of the human realm. This this difficult uh, feeling, and then see what happens to it. It's it's bringing bringing the difficult stuff in closer, and then it loses its power over us. Yeah. Um, let's see, because there's, there's some other hands, so let me take some of them first. So, okay, back there, yeah. So she's describing that uh, she can notice the, what it feels like when there's an emotion present. Uh, she's saying physiologically um, pretty well, but she doesn't always know the name for what that emotion is, and is it important to know that name? Uh, in some ways, not. In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. So you know kind of the tone of that, right? Which sometimes could just be like, ugh, right? <laughs> like that's the... So uh, you can just sort of gently open see like, oh, what is this? And then if it's... If there's something clear that comes, then that's good. But you don't need to search too much. If you just at least know the, the tone and feeling of that and kind of like the contractedness and so on, I think uh, it's okay. You don't necessarily need to identify it. Um, and also, like, don't, sometimes people get too caught up in the nuances of words and stuff too. Um, so you can just let that go, I think. But you can also develop more, more um, facility with it too, I think. After a while, sometimes it becomes more clear, like, what this is. And then it's interesting to track the whole thing, because then sometimes we will say or do something, and then we say, like, oh, look, what happened when I talked to someone with this, like, ugh, you know, like, okay. Yeah. Could, you could just simplify, you know, it's either yum or yuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. meditation that I that I think you took me on. Anyway, it was great. And then I stopped and I'm like, oh, this feels like awe. Take it in so you install it, a la Rick. And then I went up into my head. And then I'm like, wait, I want to get back down into my body. I don't want that to go away. Head, body, head, body. How do you, do, how do you deal with that? Rick can answer this question. I think it gets at um, what is wise effort. And uh, it, it is true, for example, that a study has shown that if we just simply label what we're experiencing, just a simple soft word, tension, opening, sad, mopey, whatever, that calms down the alarm bell of the brain, the amygdala, and also increases activity in the frontal cortex, which are more involved with sort of executive management of things. So that, that tends to be useful. And a lot of that noting can be done non-verbally. And I think of Ajahn uh, Sumedho's um, approach, it's like this, this. We don't need to label it and we don't need to get caught up in that. Oh, this. Or there's not even the languaging of it's like this. There's just, it's almost a gesture of a bow to it even. That's, I think, really helpful in its own right. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of um, this notion of uh, installing, 
Julie's familiar with my language, my terminology. Uh, I, I find myself, it's, a, it's really interesting to explore what it's like to simultaneously receive and let go in a way that can feel natural and easy. And so, and, and in this path, which is a lot about skillfulness and growing skillfulness and just observing, oh, what happens? Uh, we observe sometimes that if we, uh, that the best thing to do is to actually not pay attention to our experience. You know, in a sense, I know that's like really a heresy in the Buddhist world. But it's the joke about the millipede who was walking along with a, whatever, a hundred or a thousand legs, who started paying attention to which one to move first and started stumbling. <laughs> you know, and I think about uh, Gil Fransil's advice to me one time that sometimes what we just do is every so often, it's almost as if we kind of look backwards. Oh, what was that? And we let something register. But otherwise, a lot, we're just allowing ourselves to flow. And... Um, would leave it on the feeling in the body of I call it letting learning land you know like thinking and, and it comes in so many forms you know Anushka's point last night about being aware of what we leave out what's behind us you know people who are less privileged for example and that too is a learning to land you know What's it feel like to have a steadiness of mind? That's a learning to land. Um, whatever that might be, you know, an opening into allness. What's that learning to let land? And it can feel very relaxed and easy and intimate. And if it feels driven or goal-directed, states I know very well, um, it's like this, driven, goal-directed, Yuck. <laughs> Quoting Wes. Yeah, maybe it's time for one more if there's another one. So the question comment was that um, it seems like fear is very difficult to let go of and to um, distance from, to have a non-identified, it sounds like, distance from. Um, and she's finding it easier, anger, sadness, joy, awe, um, all of these are easier, but fear, there's something, uh, feels like there's something different for that one. I'm afraid so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... <laughs> I would like to say something a little about that. I noticed this morning when the rain intensified, what feels like this, as Mary Oliver, the poet, puts it, the soft animal of the body, or I might jokingly put it, the inner iguana, you know, the little lizard inside us, uh, gets rattled. And it's really normal to get rattled. right? So right off the top, fear itself doesn't need to be a problem. It's, it's an experience we're having, it's, it, it's arising. I find it helpful to appreciate, though, that fear is one of the key contents of mind that gets privileged. You know, thoughts of I are another key content of mind. Fear is very compelling. And, uh, you know, it's, and that's so for conditioned reasons. If you think of it in evolution, Rule one in the wild is eat lunch today, don't be lunch today. Live to see the sunrise. So fear trumps so many things. Safety trumps so many things. Um, and so in oneself, it can be useful to note fear. Oh, uneasiness, apprehensiveness, subtleties even. Um, 
bracing, guarding, vigilance. And in the labeling of it, oh, one more content of mind. And then I I find also it's helpful to finish on this point that um, there's a term in psychology, it's called signal anxiety. It's the idea that anxiety is a signal. And very often what happens is the body starts feeling uneasy for actually no reason. And then the mind starts looking for a threat. And that's a great way to keep animals alive who commonly die in the moment of being attacked and eaten by a predator. And yet most of that so-called signal anxiety is actually just noise. It's a false alarm. In some subtle sense, it's delusional. And uh, of course, we need to register real threats. You know, earlier today, Yogi pointed out about the screen that was loose, and yeah, we, we need to respond to the real threats. Um, but I think it's true that most people, certainly myself, most of what I fear is a false alarm. I think of it as paper tiger paranoia, you know. Um, and so part of my own practice is to try to observe the causes of fear, and then to explore, after kind of exploring the experience, is this uh, a false alarm? Is it delusional? Can I see through the delusion of this? If you think of in the Buddha Dharma that in many ways ignorance is seen as the root source of suffering in some way, not seeing the way it really is. And if we don't see the way it really is with regard to our fears, that's suffering unnecessary suffering, and also from which we often create harms for others because we're afraid, we feel threatened. So we think they're the source, or we react, or, and then that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, We act in hostile ways, and suddenly they become threatening, and we think, there, I was right all along. You know? Anyway, so that's an exploration. Um, you know, not just being aware of subtleties of fear, background fear, fear is a mood, even shaping our perceptions of things, becoming really mindful of it, normalizing it for yourself. It's okay. Of course we're afraid. We're supposed to be scared little little monkeys. Uh, and then asking oneself, okay, still, is there an actual basis for this fear? Or is it excess suffering, needless suffering? And what is it like to allow it to arise and pass away without feeling implicated by it? or identified with it. All right, so a few announcements uh, for the day. Uh, So some people will have uh, the meetings with us this morning at 10 or 11.30. And please check that and do come to the one that you're uh, listed for. I'd like to check in with you. If you have meetings in Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.